When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with some of my Laker friends and a whole lot of NBA legends. And talking about a legend, I think we probably have a legendary player Rick Barry, Rick, how are you doing through all this turbulent times we're going through? Yeah, boy, tell me about it, isn't it? Can't we? I bet everybody can't wait for 2020 to be over. It's been such an incredibly crazy year, but thank God, you know, I'm healthy. Keep getting up every morning, which probably gets a lot of people upset, but that's okay. I've done that in my lifetime. Got a few people upset, um, but no, life is great. I'm really enjoying life a great deal, and. um yeah, I, I thank God every night for, for the blessings that I have. Everybody should be as fortunate as I've been. Well, I say one thing about the COVID for me, Rick, is I didn't get a divorce and I'm still married. Well, that's a good thing, although I see that you're still using because we're even doing the show and I see it's got Yvonne Cooper's name over here. So you're using your laptop. So that's a good thing, I guess. Huh? And that's not even her name. <laughs> What's the Yvonne? What's the Yvonne Cooper there? What's that? Your wife's name. That's why I said I didn't get a divorce. <laughs> so uh, you know the only thing you know the thing I really missed a lot, Coop, was I, I missed you know the big three it was so much fun to get to see guys like you and George and the other people. And you know, on the weekends we got a chance to hang out a little bit. It was that was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed that, missed that a lot. We were talking about that with Coop with Coop. Coop was telling me some stories about, you know, he, he was out there competing, throwing plays out there, and you you just kind of laissez-faire, sat back, and uh, you just enjoyed enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I didn't enjoy the fact that my team couldn't win any freaking game. But other than that, it was it was fun. <laughs> so you're the all-time leading scorer in ABA history. You played obviously for the Golden State Warriors, won championships, and and have been a coach. So how many teams have you been around throughout your career? Whether it be you know college, ABA, NBA, and then coaching. How many different teams? Well, quite a few. I mean, I, I, you know, I played on different ones. I mean, obviously changing the leagues, you know, with the Warriors right. and stuff. And I wound up with the Oakland Oaks who wound up moving and became the Washington Caps. And then I got traded to the New York Nets. And then I went back to the Warriors and then I finished up playing with the Houston Rockets. So I got to see quite a few of them. I mean, it would have been nice to have been able to stay in one place. Didn't you? You stayed your whole career, didn't you, with the Lakers, Coop? Yeah, I was very fortunate. That's a rarity, man. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, 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 that is a rarity. And that, that would have been a nice thing to have done. You know, so and people ask me about it all the time. If you could do it over, would you have left the NBA? And I said, if I could be where I am today, have the wife I have, the amazing, you know, another son that I have, Canyon, and, and the friends that I have right now in my life, and I could know that I could have that and have stayed in the NBA, I probably would have done that. I mean, some of the ABA stuff was such, it was such BS. I mean, it was so Mickey Mouse. It was, 
I mean, like when they said they're going in the bubble, I said, hell, I got to play like playing in the bubble when I was playing in the ABA. We played a game in Dallas, Texas. There were more people sitting at the scorer's table and on the benches than throwing <laughs> a break the stands. So I, I had an experience of what that was like, but, you know, I, I probably would have stayed. I mean, I gave up. I look back on it. I gave up one of the prime years of my life. I mean, I was, I was 23 years old. And I didn't play basketball for a whole season. I played for the KYA Radio Wonders, raising money for local schools in the Bay Area, playing with my my son, my oldest son, Scooter's godfather, Johnny Holiday, who was a, a renowned uh, disc jockey back in those days and does a lot of stuff with all the Washington teams and the uh, University of Maryland teams as a broadcaster and went around and played it. I played point guard and I, I would feed him. He was only about, he's very short, but he'd get, he'd take about 30 shots a game. And I, I just set him up all day long, but it was, it was, it was fun to do, but man, I look back and I said, God dang. I, and I love playing ball. Just, I'm sure like you did Coop. I mean, I gave up a whole freaking year, played for the KOA radio wonders instead of the San Francisco Colts or the San Francisco warriors back in the day. Man, what the hell was I thinking? You know what, Rick? I think uh, the one thing that I'm going to say, and uh, as a young person growing up in Los Angeles, watching you guys play in the ABA, I was jealous because I liked that red, white, and blue ball. I, w- I was kind of like going to the beach and playing with a beach ball. I mean, what were those days like for you? I mean, because it was some good players in that league. Oh, actually, some outstanding players, a lot of Hall of Fame players there. I mean, you know, George Gervin, Artis Gilmore, I mean, Mel Dan. You could start rattling off Roger Brown. You can start rattling off a whole bunch of really outstanding players that played. In fact, I remember getting to a big discussion. I was doing an interview with Marv Albert back when he was doing stuff in New York on the radio. And I just jumped him really big because he was just putting it down and everything. And I said, I said, who are you? You're a broadcaster. You're telling me that you don't think that the play is any good. I says, what the hell do you know about how good the play is in the AB? I really got on his case pretty strongly, uh, which I have a tendency to do because I'm very opinionated and always have been. And it's gotten me in a lot of, a lot of trouble at times, but, uh, but you know, you have to be a person of conviction and, and believe in it, but the ball itself sucked poop. I mean, the original ball, it had a sharp edge. It didn't have the rounded edge where the leather went into the rubber and it was smooth in your hand. And it really did have an abrupt edge. And if you didn't play with that ball a while and get it done, it was very slick. So you had to try to try to play with it in practice and hope to do it. But they, they improved on it. But the original ball was uh, was not a lot of fun to play with. Yeah, somebody scored all those points. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, people say, well, doesn't the rotation bother you? And I'm thinking about it. Right here. I said, wait a second. When you play, you don't watch the ball when you shoot. You're focused on the basket. When you go up, you shoot the ball. You don't even see it until it's coming down. I mean, so it's for the fans to get a chance to see the spinning red, white, and blue ball. It was also actually a great way for a teaching tool to see whether or not somebody was actually shooting the ball properly, whether they were shooting a knuckleball, or whether they actually had a good follow-through on their shot. And, Rick, that's what I was going to say. I think of all the players, and I've seen a lot of players, and I have played against a lot of players, you probably had the prettiest jump shot because of the rotation of the basketball and then go move into the NBA, but the prettiest jump shot, uh, who would rival your shot in today's game? Oh God, there's so many players that arrive. I wasn't a great shooter coop. I was, I was a scorer. I mean, you know, I, I hear people talking about all the lockdown defenders and I joke. In fact, I just saw a basketball card somebody sent to me and on the back is talking to me. Rick Barry was a lockdown defender. I said, what are they kidding me? A lockdown defender. There's no such thing. I know Coop, you were a good defender, but there's no such thing as a lockdown defender. No, no. If you're a scorer, no, if you're a scorer, you know, you a great defender can't shut down a score. I mean, you just can't do it. It's impossible. You can shut down a shooter. But you can't shut down a score. There's too many ways that I can beat you. I mean, just yeah. too many ways. And what you have to do as a, as a good defender, 
If I, if a guy's averaging 30 points a game and you're guarding him and you can get him to take two, three, four, five more shots than he normally takes and he still gets his average, you've done a good job. Yeah. People don't understand that. They don't really understand that nature of it. And so that's what it is. You always try to make a guy work harder than he had to work. He might, you know, because if, and then hope he's having an off night. I mean, that's, you know, you hope he's not shooting the ball well that night because nobody shoots it great all the time. But man, I mean, you talk about shooters. I mean, on my old team, I mean, Steph and Clay, two of the two the greatest ever backcourt shooters from distance. I mean, there's been nobody that can shoot the ball like those two on the same team. I mean, those guys are spectacular as far as shooting the basketball. And so. and you know, Rick, I'm going to break it down even more. And I understand what you're saying about making you take a couple more shots. But one thing I try to do against a scorer or a, a, a great offensive shooter is take away his sweet spot. So if you wanted to get to that elbow, if I could get you a foot away from there or a foot back, away from where you really want to shoot the basketball, to me, I think I've done my job. Now, whether you hit the shot or not is on you, but those are kind of the little things as a defensive player. But you're right. There's nobody that can stop anybody in this game. It's it's uh, your teammates that actually help you become a good defensive well, player. It's a good thing you didn't have to guard me because I didn't have a favorite spot because I'd shoot from anywhere. So you would have been in trouble with that philosophy against so, me. Rick, Rick, you didn't have a spot. You didn't have a spot that you wanted to get to. <laughs> that was clear, baby. I'm, I'm happy. If I get it, I'm going to shoot the damn thing for wherever the hell I am. It didn't make any difference. <laughs> would it been safe to say that uh, I would not have wanted to play with Rick Barry because if you pass it to him, you ain't getting it back? <laughs> that's not true. No, actually, that's that's the, that's probably the biggest falsehood ever is that I was one of, one of the few forwards ever in top 10 in assist. I tell you the truth. I got more enjoyment and satisfaction out of making a really good pass to a teammate for a basket that I did scoring myself. Uh, I mean, I, I was all about winning, you know, and hell, if, if I can win by not not shooting the ball, that's, that's what I'm going to do. It doesn't really matter. And the thing is, is my team needed me to score some points. But I, I never went out ever thinking, you know, I got to go out and get this many points. I never, ever. I never thought about how many points I'm going to score. I went out and just played. I played the game. And fortunately, I was taught how to play the game the right way by my father, who was a semi-pro player and coach. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in today's game is that some of these players are so short-changed. Coop, I had a guy when I was coaching in the minor leagues. This guy was, he was Michael Jordan size height wise, but he was, big, he, but he was almost like LeBron. He was bigger and more powerful than Michael. Jump out of the gym, had, had such amazing abilities. He didn't know how to play. He didn't understand the game. And he was one of the nicest young men I've ever met in my life. First guy at practice, wanting to stay, wanting to work on his game. But he was 26 years old when I had him in the, playing in the minor leagues. And he had a family. I couldn't play him over some of the other guys because he didn't know how to play the game the way it should be played. It was so sad. I said to Clifford Ray, who was my assistant coach at the time, I said, I said, yo, that's what his nickname. You call him yo. I said, yo, just imagine what we could have done with this kid if we had him when he was younger. Hell, he would have been a freaking star in the NBA. He was incredibly gifted. And I see guys playing today that are in the league because of this insane and incredible natural ability that they have to play the game with physical tools and all, but as good as they are, they made it to the NBA on that. They're never going to be as good as they should be because they don't understand how to use that amazing gift that they were given in the proper manner to take their game to another level. It's just so sad. And it breaks my heart when I see that. 
But Rick, you know what? I think that is because AAU basketball, but I'm from the old school like you. I had a great high school coach who taught me how to drop step, forward, reverse pivot, the fundamentals of the game that will keep you in the game longer than your athleticism. So I, I agree with you. Uh, uh, AAU basketball is killing our youth today because they don't try to teach them anything. They'll just try to use their athleticism to achieve the goal for them is to win and for them to get to the NBA. Boy, I sound like I'm hearing myself talk here. I'm like the same way. Now, listen, first thing I say though, not every right. coach in AAU basketball is, is not a good coach. I mean, and not every team does what you're saying, but too many of them right. do. Yeah. In fact, they I go agree. out, they recruit, the, they get a bunch of kids to sign up so that their families can afford it and pay all the money. Then they go out and recruit the really great athletic yeah. guys to come and play. So the guys who pay the money don't get to play a lot, but they just put them out there and say, well, go jump higher, run faster, use your athleticism. They win the games based upon just that sheer natural talent. But they don't teach them how to play properly, how to do it the right way, how to move without the basketball, how to keep man-ball relationship, all the little simple things that just take your game to another level and differentiate you from the other players. But the biggest thing that I think, and this is that I just don't understand some of the scouts. I, 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 I'm not going to mention names by anybody, but I know I, I get them mad every time I say this, but I'm going to keep saying it. Some scouts I don't think would understand talent if it walked up and bit them in the butt. Because here's the deal. They get so hung up on that athleticism stuff. I'm going to tell you what. I'll give you – I asked Jack Ramsey this one. God rest his soul. I really like Jack, the great coach, you know, the 76ers and Trailblazers. I said, Jack, I'll give you 12 players. Do you want 12, athletes, 12 guys with great natural talent and ability and skill? It's amazing. Or do you want 12 guys who understand the game? He says, I'll take the guys who understand the game. Yeah, because you're going to win more because it's all about team defense and you have to understand, you have to understand man ball relationship. You have to stand being in the right help situation. Now take a guy like you. I mean, your individual defense. Yeah. I'd be happy to do that. I had a guy like Darren Hancock who had played at Kansas. What a great individual defender. And he had trouble. He was smoking too much weed and stuff and had troubles. And this guy was incredibly gifted. And I, I was with him and I said, did nobody ever show you some of these things? He said, no, I, I figured, you know, he was with the, with the, with the Hornets, I think at the time, Charlotte. And so I had him playing with me in the minor leagues and I really worked with him on a shot to get a shot better and do stuff. But man, he was a gifted, gifted player, but he is another guy that didn't know how to do it because nobody taught him the little fine refinements of the game. And so I said, here's the deal. I said, look at Darren, you, you play terrific individual defense. I said, but you're killing us team wise. I said, you can't be so worried about your team, your guy that you're guarding that you let a guy from the opposite side of the court go to the basket and get a layup. You got to go to the other side and stop him. It's all about team defense. So the key to it is if you have guys who understand team defense, you're going to be a better basketball team than if you had all great individual defenders because great individual defenders are going to get beaten by the guy sometimes. And if nobody's there to help them, they're going to get easy baskets for the entire game. So you want to be great team defender. Now, if I have a guy that knows how to play team defense, he's in a good individual defender. Now I got a real bonus because now he's making the other guy work hard, but he's still always there to help his teammates. And sticking with our theme of fundamental, Rick, you know what? I'm guarding you and I'm playing you really tough and I'm, uh, you're scoring on me, but I say, you know what? Fuck this, man. Let me foul this guy. And Rick Barry goes to the free throw line. Not a good idea to foul me. <laughs> Who, Rick, taught you? And some people say it's an unorthodox underhand shot, but you were deadly from the free throw line. How did you learn how to shoot free throws? Because my dad played semi pro basketball and he was a coach. And back in those days, people shot the two handed set shot like that and then they shot two hands underhand and so my dad 
got me to do it. I mean, he was relentless about it. And I only did it just to get him to stop bugging me about it. because <laughs> I can't do that. I mean, the girls shoot that way. So he said, son, I remember it like it was yesterday, Coop. I said, son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. And he That's was right. right. And I, I, I remember it's so vivid in my mind. I mean, this is a long time ago, folks. First game, high school, when I started doing, I don't remember as my junior or senior year. I'm in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. I'm shooting my free throws, and I hear a guy yelling from the stands, hey, Barry, you big sissy shoot like that. And I heard so perfectly clear from the guy next to him, what are you making fun of him for? He doesn't miss. <laughs> <laughs> so I was cool. I was cool with that. And here's the thing. It's the only part of the game that you can be selfish and help your team. The yeah. only part of the game. Because it's totally, completely individual on you. And you could be as selfish as you want to be, and you're never going to hurt your team. You're going to help your team by making your free throws. And it's just something you can always get better at. Like I've always felt you should be never satisfied with what you're doing on the court as far as your skill level. You should always try to improve. I was a better free throw shooter at the end of my career than I was at the beginning. I just wish I had been smart enough to have figured out what I figured out late in my career, early in my career, when I was shooting over 10 free throws a game early in my career. Mm. I could have put up some crazy numbers if I was shooting this way because my last six years I have the highest free throw percentage of anybody in the history of the game my last six years I shot over 92 percent my last two years I shot over 94 percent wow I mean so I took great pride in my free throw shooting in fact I remember my last two seasons I missed a total of 19 free throws and whole season I had missed well the whole season I missed I missed nine in one season and ten in another season wow and so and I remember John Andre Jordan, uh, <laughs> Andre Jordan, uh, Drummond, uh, Andre Drummond in, from the Pistons in one game a few seasons ago, missed 22 free throws in one game. He missed more free throws in one game than I missed in two seasons. Hey, Rick, how many, how, how many in a row did you make? How many? What, what I had a record at one time at 60, and I was always upset with myself. I think I, if I had, I didn't have that other technique. And, and so if I had that other technique early in my career, I think I could have put up a number. I always mad that I didn't shoot a hundred or more. I wanted to make a hundred or more consecutive free throws, but I had the record for quite a while. I had that 60 and then the, you'll get a kick out of this because you know, Murph, Cavill Murphy. So he was my teammate with the Rockets. And so I, I, I was getting to heads as Cavill. You do realize that, you know, as long as I'm on this team, you're never going to win the free throw shooting, you know, uh, competition. And I said, and plus the fact I'm going to shoot the technical fouls if I'm in the game when a technical happens because I'm a better free throw shooter than you. Still in his head. And he was a great free throw shooter, obviously. And so I beat him and I did that. And then I re- the year I retired, I had the record at 94.7 for the season. Okay. Calvin broke the record the next season after I retired. Wow. <laughs> Talk something from you. You or Bill Sharman have the record, the late Bill Sharman coach for the Lakers. So Bill what? didn't Bill Coach Sharman shoot him underhand too? No, no, no. Bill was all one-handed. He did oh, okay. No, Bill was a one-handed shooter. Nobody, nobody's really been a great. When I came in the league, there was only two guys shooting underhanded free throws: Guy Rogers, my teammate, and Al. And uh, was it uh, another guy that played for this for the Seventy Sixers? There were only two guys that shot the ball that way. Shot underhand, and uh, and then there was only there was very few afterwards. George Johnson, my teammate, I worked with him. He went from being like a 50% free throw shooter. I think one season when he was with the Nets, I think he wound up shooting 80%. So, so is free throw shooting not mental then? 
But that it's always, and, you know, free throw is all about, it's just a matter of technique. I mean, just getting the, I don't care what, how you want to shoot it. it. If you get the technique and you practice it enough so that you can do it time after time, you really have to become sort of robotic at it. Muscle I mean, memory. That it's such a feel like even today, even at my advanced age, I can go out if I loosen up and I will bet you anything you want to bet that I'll make eight out of 10 with my eyes. Wow. Is that muscle memory? Yeah. I mean, wow. it's have a feel like I was just down in Mexico fly, for, you know, doing some bass fishing, not fly fishing, but bass fishing. And these guys were crazy basketball fans and stuff. And one guy actually, who's the cook, who he was a walk on for the Mexican Olympic team and they had <laughs> skills and they could shoot the ball. So we went out there to shoot them and I went to shoot in their basket. First of all, they didn't have where the exact free throw line was. So you had to kind of guess what the distance was. But then when I was shooting it, I, I said, I'll tell you, what, I bet you anything that basket is a little bit high because I know the feel. And yeah. when I shoot it, I can't hit sure. it in front of the rim. So I'm saying that basket, I, it's high. It's not real high, but I guarantee you it's more than 10 feet. There's no way, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to hit the front rim a bunch of times. So yeah. And, and, and I was crazy. I mean, I would go to the arenas and drive this guy's stuff. I go to the arena and go shoot it. I mean, the basket is not totally squared the way it's supposed to be. I'm saying this rim is screwed up. So they come and they measure it. Sure enough, they had to readjust the basket. I mean, it's just, it's something that you just get a feel for. Hey, you listen to Showtime with Coop. We've got Rick Barry in the house. Rick, we're at the stage of the show now where I have something that I call Coop's Lightning Round. I'm going to give you five names. And you tell me a little bit about the, uh, that person, okay? Sure. Uh, John Havlicek. Uh, John Havlicek was, you know, a, a great athlete and a great competitor. Uh, and one of those guys you'd want to have on your team. He was sixth man of the year a lot of times. Then, of course, he started a bunch of years. And I got to know John really well, and I really loved John. I was so disappointed and sad when he passed away. But just a really outstanding all-around basketball player that you would want to have as a teammate, without question. Bruce Hale. Bruce Hale was my college coach who taught me so much about the game and really prepared me other than my father and my brother for the pros because he was a former pro player and he would take me out and work with me. And that's one of the reasons why we played pro style basketball in college. It's very rare that rookies come in and rookies have a big impact. But, but for me, it was, it was simple seriously because we played man to man in college, no three point shot, right? My senior year, we averaged 99 points a game. Wow. Ooh. 99 points yeah. a game. And I had two guards from Indiana, Rick Jones and Junior G. They thought they were in range. And the guy named and Louis Dampier's cousin, John Dampier, when they crossed half court, they thought they were in range. If we had the three-point <laughs> college shot, we would have scored 110 points a game at least. These guys were unbelievable. So it was so, it was so much fun. But he really did help me tremendously. And uh, and I, I worked hard, and I was ready to, to make the transition. And it was easier for me, actually, because as a as a player in college, the other team's defense was totally geared to what? To try to shut me down, right? Yep. So they're playing box and ones and triangles and twos and whatever the heck you want to do. And so when I go to the pros, I'm going, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. I only have one guy guarding me. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So it was great. Uh, Bill Russell. Bill Russell, the greatest defensive center, had an impact on the game with defense more so than any player in the history of the game. Not the greatest center of all time, but the greatest winner at the center position of all time because yeah. of his defense. And I mean, he changed so much with his defense. I mean, the greatest center of all time, without question, to me, it's, it's Wilt Chamberlain. I don't think anybody can hold a candle to what Wilt did. But if you take the skills of every player, 
you know, in each position and what you need to do to play that position. And there's nobody that holds up to what Wilt did. Wilt did things that'll never happen again. And, but, but Bill, uh, yeah. In fact, if I said, people say, Hey, pick a team to play on. I said, if I pick a team, I'm going to take Bill, Bill, I'm going to take Bill Russell on my team, but not as the center. I'm going to take Wilt as my center. I'm going to have Bill play power forward and he doesn't have to score a point. <laughs> no, seriously, because I got yeah, Wilt who's averaged 50 a game. And then I get Michael Jordan is going to be on my team. He can score a whole bunch of points. <laughs> so now I'm going to play the three position. I said, well, you know, and then, you know, hell, I said, I want to have a few shots. I said, so that's why I'm going to take somebody like, you know, like, like Magic Johnson, who, you know, wants to get a whole bunch of assists and all. Because, But if I took somebody else, I mean, my God, what do I want to take another power forward who could score 30 points a game? I wouldn't get any shots. Rick, ain't enough balls, on that, uh, balls for that team out there. Uh, the late, great Kobe Bryant. You know what? I, I used to get so disappointed in people and that actually a little bit said at times and they called Kobe selfish. I don't think Kobe Bryant was a selfish player. I think Kobe Bryant was a, he could have been a great warrior, a warrior. I mean, I would have loved to play with Kobe because Kobe, I think probably got more assists to Shaq than anybody else. But here's the deal. When Shaq was gone, I mean, he didn't have teammates to help him. And so he had to do so much more and try to do so much more for those poor teams that they had after Shaq had left. But I'll tell you what I loved about Kobe Bryant. When Kobe Bryant put his uniform on, you were getting everything Kobe Bryant had every single game. And that's what I respect in a teammate. I want my teammates to come out there and give me everything you got every time you put that uniform on. And that's what Kobe Bryant did. And he was incredibly talented. Amazingly, I wish I'd been around it. I I got to know him. He was, I really liked Kobe a lot. I loved him. He was a great guy and a big fan of his, but he shot the ball flat. A little bit yeah. flat, yeah. You know? And if he ever had somebody work with him and just get it up a little bit more, God, there's no telling. You know, he would have scored so many more points because he was he was a heck of a player. He really was. Shit, eighty one is enough. Yeah, uh, eighty one uh, one good. But first of all, hey, co- let me tell you something. If I'm coaching against him, there's not a chance in hell he's getting eighty one. No, okay, I, I, I agree <laughs> with that. Yeah, five people on him. I'm letting everybody else score. He's not getting eighty one against me if I'm coaching that team. <laughs> You'd have 81 assists for me. Uh, last but not least. I got, one after, I got one after you. I got one okay. after you. Willie Mays. Willie, Willie Mays. Mays, my boyhood hero. That's why I wore number 24. I was a better baseball player in high school than I was a, a basketball player. My father was, uh, was a great athlete and a great fast pitch softball player. But he taught me how to catch fly balls like that, the basket catch. Willie Mays' you know, big signature signature catch. And so when I saw him come up as a rookie with the New York Giants, because I live back in New Jersey, I look, that's my guy. So it turned out I wound up having as my favorite player, one of the greatest players of all time, certainly one of the greatest center fielders of all time. And, uh, and got, to, and here's the irony of it. I mean, what a great country. My boyhood hero became my friend later in life. I got to be wow. friends with wow. Willie Mays. In fact, when they had, he was doing stuff for ballets, uh, casinos and in Atlantic city they had a big big 80th birthday celebration for him so his guy calls me up and says rick willie wants you to come to the celebration I says, oh wow that's that'd be great a great honor he says yeah but he wants you he wants you to be on the dais i said really he said yeah he said, but he also wants you to speak he's only gonna have three people speaking and he wants you to be the first speaker and tell the story about how wow. you met him so wow. i said really <laughs> so so that was a, that was a great honor and uh and so yeah the willie was willie was my guy all right. Bill Libby. Bill Libby, who wrote uh, wrote the book. He wrote one of the books uh, for me, I think, was it Confessions of a Basketball Gypsy, I think. That's was it. The, the yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Bill was a good guy. You know, um, Rick, your thought on the state of the NBA today, um, you like or dislike? Well, I don't like, I don't like the fact that every team, they seem to be coming around a little bit or every team for a while there was playing so much one-on-one garbage and isolation stuff. I mean, they weren't playing the game the right way. And that's why I love what the Warriors did during their run, the way they were playing the game. I mean, you as a player, it's so much more fun to play when you're passing, cutting, moving, just playing smart, fundamental basketball. Because my dad had taught me, look, in basketball, the more decisions you force the defense to make, the more the likelihood they're going to make a mistake. And then if you have the well-schooled players, you take advantage of those mistakes and you capitalize on them. And then it's more fun to play the game that way. It's more fun to watch the game being played that way if you understand the game. And that's the one thing that I probably dislike most about it. But more teams are coming around to start to do that where they're making the three, four, five passes and making cuts and making the decisions. And I go back to telling people, I said, remember the Warriors when they won against Cleveland, one of the series when they almost swept them, you know, I think it was Mm -hmm. the third time they won. It was three, nothing. They go back to Cleveland and give Cleveland credit. I mean, they really came out and gave everything they had and they wound up winning that game. Well, now you still could have figured it's over because nobody ever come back and nobody's come back from three, one deficit in the finals. And so, what do you, what happens? So they come out, the game is going good. The Cleveland's ahead. The Warriors make a comeback at them. They get back there. It would have been easy for Cleveland to give up, but they fought them. And the third quarter, the game's still on the line. Midway through the third quarter, the Warriors do their offense. They run through. And it was either Clay or Steph was coming off of some staggered, where there's some staggered people running them off some, some of their teammates to get some screens popping out to the corner. And it happened. I know for the first one, I know it was LeBron and, and J.R. Smith, J.R. Uh, J.R. Smith, and they didn't communicate. So what happens? They both jumped out to the shooter, and the one inside person stepped in and gets a dunk. The pass goes there. That doesn't happen. See, Cleveland didn't do that. I mean, Cleveland played a lot of one-on-one stuff, dominated the ball by one person. And that's why I didn't think they would ever have a chance to beat them. And, you know, I think the only reason they beat them is, you know, they got the Draymond got kicked out because they didn't have enough guts to call a flagrant foul on LeBron when he threw him down to the court and he responded. And then he had the other technicals. And so he gets suspended and that really hurt them. And then they had the game at home. They went the last four minutes and 29 seconds and never scored a point. They only took three point shots. Something they did, other than the well, Iggy, Iggy had a, the the, the uh, breakaway, and LeBron made that amazing block coming from. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he saved the game. He, sa- he saved the game for him because see, if that's what I tell people, if he had made that basket, now they're up. They're going to be up. I think they would have been up two. And then Kyrie, the only basket made was Kyrie hit a big three, and then LeBron was one of two from the free throw line. But you know, as a player, look, is it how is it easier to take a shot in a tie game in the last minute or so? In a tie game, take a three-point shot or take the three-point shot when you're down two. It's really easy to take that one when you're tied because if you miss it, you're still tied. But you take that three-point shot when you're down two and miss it and they get the ball back, basically the game is probably going to be over. So, you know, I still remember that so vividly. And if it hadn't been for that, the Warriors could have won. You know, that would have been four in a row they would have won. And then the last year they would have won against Toronto if it hadn't been for the fact that both Kate and Kevin Durant – and Clay Thompson got hurt. Otherwise, they would have won that series. 
Yeah. Well, you know what, Rick? My asshole stayed tight, so it didn't matter what uh, time and point in the game. I was going to be tight anyway, taking a shot. So I didn't get a lot of shots. But uh, uh, well, no, no. Cool, cool. Do you think you think you think the Warriors, if they if they were healthy with Durant and and Clay this year, would be would it be the Lakers this year? This year? Is that what you were saying? No, I just I just said they would have won against Toronto. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They would have the series year. against Toronto. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They could have beaten yeah. the Lakers. It would yeah. have been if he had stayed healthy and he was still with the team. Would have depended upon who the hell their other center was. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. To try to beat to beat that Warriors team the way that they were constructed, it, it was an impossibility. Right. I mean, as a right. defensive player, Coop, you can relate to it. I try to tell people. If you played the Warriors, you had to hope this. You had to hope that two of the three guys were having bad shooting games. Yeah. Because yeah. they didn't need all three of them to be on. And, and here's how I tell them. Because in one of the series, Clay just was out of it. The first two series, he just, I don't know what the hell happened, but it was like he wasn't a factor in the first two series. But but KD and Steph were on their game. They swept both series without yeah. Clay Thompson being a contributor. So the difference is, I said, the Warriors changed the whole dynamic of basketball. It's always been the philosophy is take away the team's fast break opportunities, minimize second chance opportunities, and force them to beat you from the perimeter. And that worked like a charm. Well, Steph and the Warriors and those guys changed that because not only can they beat you from the perimeter, they could embarrass you from the perimeter. If they are on their game, yeah, you know, you're going to lose 20, you might lose by 20, 30, 40 points for God's sake. And so that's, that's, I say, you got, you can't stop them because they can all shoot to three. They all have a mid range shot. They all can go to the basket and they're all great free throw shooters. There is no team in the world that can defend three guys with those offensive talents. You just can't do it. Well, Rick, there you have it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You listened to Showtime with Coop. I got one last question for you, Rick, and then I'm going to let you go. In today's game, and go back to when you were 25, 26 years old, you could play in today's game. How much money would you c- command? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't even try to think about that because I know that I could have one of those max contracts, and I, I, I never heard the word Give me million. a number, Rick. Give me I, a number. I've never heard the word million. In the, I get a max contract, but I never heard the word million in my contract negotiations and all, and, you know, I still was happy as could be. I mean, I couldn't believe that they were paying me what they paid me, but the lowest paid guy in the league last year made more money than I made almost twice as much as I made in my best year. The guy that never plays. I mean, I didn't even play. I mean, he's just hanging around on the team. He's 15-man roster. He hardly ever plays. He he goes to practice. He travels around, gets his per diem, you know, and gets all of the the, uh, the, the money from the MBRP, you know, from the licensing deal and makes twice as much money as I made in my best year. But Fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. But here's the deal. If I was if I was back younger again, if I had to do it over again, Coop, I'd be a point guard. Would you? Oh, yeah. No question. Because here's the deal. You control everything. You control the destiny of your team as a point guard. Yeah. I, I used to love I was the point forward, the first point forward. And I would do some of that. And I was in the top 10 in the system, you know, a number, number of years as a forward. But I would I would want to be a point guard. Because first of all, I was as faster, faster than most of the guards. The guards in my team, I was faster than. And and I was quick and all. And they said, oh, Rick Barry can really handle them. Now, the only thing is the way they do it now, but ball handling, big deal. So I go in the gym and I practice two-man drills and stuff. I would get my ball handling to the point where I could do that kind of stuff. It's just a matter of putting the time in. 
but I would love to have it do it because I'd love to create for people. And if you can get by people, not even by, here's the thing I tell people, you don't have to get by your defender. Okay. You're guarding me. I just want you even with me on my shoulder. That's exactly. Because you know, if I got you on my shoulder, you're done. I'm just over with. I mean, I mean, it's like, you don't have to go by somebody. And, and, the, and the other thing is, is that it's just more fun to be able to distribute. You distribute the wealth, you know, give everybody a little piece here. I mean, Clifford Ray, I mean, he's my teammate. You know, we, I think we run the pick and roll better than anybody's ever run it because now they don't even run it. It's a joke when I watch what they do. The screens come from horrible angles. Guys are moving on screens. They don't even know how to play, how to do it. I go nuts. And, but we were really good at it. And the first thing I would do early in the game, I'd get him out and get him a dunk. So he'd be, cause he'd be willing to come out and put his body out there. And he's not a screener. And that's the terminology I'll get into real quickly for your fans to understand. Even when I hear Jeff Van Gundy, you hear the coach, well, he didn't set a very good screen. Well, you don't set anything in basketball. First of all, if you set a screen, that's a foul. You can't move. You don't, exactly. you, you're a stationary object. And the whole key is it's my job as your teammate to run my man into you, therefore ma- making you a screener. And here's the problem. They hear the thing. Now you didn't set a good screen. So that means I didn't do something I was supposed to do. Well, you're not supposed to do anything other than stand there. And so you watch, that's why you see moving screens. I charted a playoff game a year ago when I was doing broadcasting. 59 moving screens in one game were not called. We're not called. So anyway, so that's the kind of stuff that goes, drives me absolutely nuts when I have to watch all that stuff going on. Then carry, how about carrying the basketball? Oh my God. I watched the kid yesterday playing. I watched a little bit of this, of the Warriors Sacramento Kings game. And this guard was in the game. He carried the ball all the time. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, and they let him get away with it. And the same thing with traveling. Oh, oh, my, oh my God. Guy yeah. guy, hey, guy catches the ball and, and he takes a step, which means he takes a step. He's got a left foot, pivot foot. Then he brings the left foot over back to his right foot and shoots the ball. That's a travel. You can't do that without dribbling. You're allowed to have two pivot feet in the NBA. No, it's 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 insane. Just enforce the damn rules the way the rules are written. It's just unbelievable what they allow to get away. And then some of the physicality, and you probably dealt with it, was worse back when we played. My God, two guys crash into one another on a play. The guy's got the ball. They, they both wind up on the court. No call. I mean, I'm sorry. It's got to be a block or a charge. Yeah, chances are it's coopering to somebody. Huh? <laughs> chances are it's coopering to somebody. Well, I think, you know, maybe if they didn't draw blood, I don't know what the deal is. I mean, God almighty. It's, uh, but it's still, it's still a great game. I still love watching it. And the athletic and the, and the skills of some of these players are off the charts. But the differentiation, when I talked about those scouts, Here's to me is the differentiation. If I was a scout and doing it, I'm going to look. I want every player that I have on my team, if I was a general manager or a coach, I only want players who have a natural feel for the game. And you can't teach that. Like I tell you, I can teach you, Ari, I can teach you how to, I can teach you how to pass. I can't teach you how to see. And if you have that feel for the game, I want that player because I can teach him a lot of the other things to make him better, but I can't teach him that feel. There you have it from the mouth of a true, true legend. Rick, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, before we go, tell us what you got going on. I know you have a podcast. Yeah, I'm getting ready to do my podcast actually called Warriors 24. I do it with Cyrus Satchez, who used to be a producer of my show when I worked for KYA, KYA, uh, not KYA, but KMBR radio in San Francisco. So we're going to be doing ours, uh, coming up here after I get done with you and then working on a lot of really interesting things in the health world, uh, trying to help people out and doing a lot of things for military people, helping to get military people off the street into homes 
and, and facilities where we can help take care of them. A whole new system that's incredible called the, the MedSign with this Cortex system that has in-home, you can get in-home tr- stuff from your doctor. It's beyond people having to use a computer or smartphone. You can do it off your television set. Some really exciting stuff. I'm in the CBD world. So I'm busier now than I've ever been, but really exciting and just doing a lot of pickleball. I'm going to do something in the pickleball world. I play pickleball all the time. I love that game. And uh, yeah, so life is great. I'm happy. And my son, my son, my own son, Canyon, that was on the World Cup 3X3 team. It's the only gold medal USA hadn't won. And he's now on the qualifying team for the Olympics. And they were training, getting ready when they can't, when they postponed it because of COVID. So he's been training now to get ready to go to, uh, I think it's in Austria in uh, May. And if they come in third or better, then he gets a chance to possibly be an Olympian in 3X3. Wow. Let me tell you something, Coopy. My son should be in the NBA. I'm telling you right now. And this is, I only talk as of not as a father, but someone knows the game. My son is a better player than a whole bunch of guys that they're paying multi-millions of dollars for right now who they could get for a minimum contract and they would steal him. He needs to be in the league. It's a joke. Well, there you go, Rick. Being that, that point guard off the court, still assisting the community. We love that. Again, Rick, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I will be in contact with you because I'd love to be on your podcast. I'm get back to you. I'll get you on my, I'll get you on my show. We'll have some fun doing that as well. And then hopefully, hopefully the big three will be back and we'll, uh, we'll see each other back out there on the court and we can compete against each other, but just as old men coaching the young guys. Uh, and, and, and our guys, our guys aren't all that young, although they're getting younger guys in the league. In fact, if no, they, they're going to leave. Do it again, I'm, I'm going to try to get my son to come and play for me because I know he can play. He loves three-on-three. Three. You don't have to run to the other end. Crick, hey, man, all the same, to all your listeners and everybody in there, uh, God bless. Uh, have a Merry Christmas and whatever holiday you may be celebrating, Hanukkah, whatever it may be, Kwanzaa, whatever, and a healthy and happy New Year. And let's pray that 2021 it's going to be a lot better than 2020 because, man, this is such a bizarre year. I just hope things get better quickly. So God bless everybody. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Talk to you soon. Okay.